You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Store. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. We're very thankful that today we can be joined by a guest, something we've been meaning to do for quite some time. So, Andrew, who do we have with us today? Can I just compliment you once again on your <laughs> telephone voice, Jeff? <laughs> um, I'm really excited because uh, as a foreigner to these lands, um, I'm still kind of trying to get to grips with, you know, some of the some of the the big players in and change makers in uh, in Ireland. And one name that seemed to pop up a hell of a lot on social media uh, was one Mark Malone, um, who is he? Well, he studied community education and social activism and equality at Maynooth. You'll have to correct me if I get any of my pronunciation <laughs> wrong. Uh, and he's an independent uh, researcher into the far right here in Ireland um, and has been involved in left-wing, left-wing movements um, for, well, too long really to count. So I was really, really excited to hear. Well, I've been following his threads on Twitter a hell of a lot and realized that he knows his shit. And as someone who wants to learn more from people who know his shit, and I, Jeff has joined with me in that respect yep. i thought well fuck would he would he be prepared to come and have a chat with us on the podcast and he's very kindly acquiesced to that request so um without further ado could you just give me a little idea of kind of who you are mark and where your interest in activism and combating or at least scrutinizing the far right started uh, well, first of all, thanks very much for having us on. It's a it's a delight to be on. Like you guys are producing some really really thoughtful conversations, so um, it's glad to be here. You mustn't have heard the most recent episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have. But uh, in terms of like, you know, I'm I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not an expert in kind of racism. I'm not. I don't come from this from a, an academic kind of background as such. Um, as you say, I've kind of been involved in left wing activism for about twenty odd years. Um, mostly, I guess. Uh, whenever I moved to Dublin in the early 2000s. Um, and that, I guess, was shaped very much in terms of like how you situate yourself or where you come from yourself, like like anybody else, and very much shaped by and perhaps the product of the, the lived environment I come from, you know. So I, I grew up in the North during the Troubles. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in an area within the what was called the Murder Triangle, um, wow. which there's echoes of that stuff today in terms of the you know, nu- numerous kind of uh, deaths, I guess, organized killings by paramilitary organizations, uh, numbers of them armed, trained, and, and, and covered, by the, covered up by the, the British state. Oh, wait, so um, you don't mind me asking, where did you grow up? Where is the murder triangle? Um, so it kind of run from, um, into, from part of South, South Armagh into Tyrone, up, to, up past, a, yeah, up towards Loch Ness, I guess, you know. Right. So in, in, in that space, it was kind of a, Paramilitary organization, the Lan Gang would have been the predominant uh, organization there in the you know late seventies, early eighties, I guess. Um, had a tremendous impact, involved in over two hundred murders. Whoa! Um, the vast majority of them, kind of, um, you know, nobody really held to account. And I guess there's still echoes in that as well. You know, that's 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 been informative, and that's not to say, obviously, there's a, there's a you know, there's a whole show, I guess, in terms of the the. Uh, the rich and grim tapestry of the North generally, mm. um, you know, so um, obviously within that state, it was a very heavily militarized, quite authoritarian, uh, quite authoritarian culturally, both from a, you know, nationalist, Republican and loyalist kind of unionist perspective, I guess. This, this, the, the ambience of the place was quite authoritarian generally, you know. Yeah. So as a sort of teenager growing up in that, um, you're, you're, you know, like a lot of people kind of the impulses perhaps towards anti-authoritarianism. Um, and the, and the, and trying to you know uh, overcome, deal with, and kind of you know uh, transcend perhaps the, the 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 sort of oppressiveness around you, you know. So that was kind of in in in, in formative years, I guess. Um, how that played out in terms of how I thought about activism, kind of already got involved in anti-war stuff, and um, particularly the U.S. use of Shannon Airport, um, and yeah, and I guess. You know, fell in with a very, very solid bunch of 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 people that were internationally connected through the altered globalization movement. I guess of the the early two thousands, um, and so a lot of that politics was kind of DIY. It was direct action. It was you know uh, trying to like literally try to combat uh, things as you face them. 
Um, and also then, I guess, um, learning, I guess, about politics, about theory, about sets of ideas as, as I go along, you know. Right. So, well, I mean, were your family especially kind of political? Did it, I, I mean, did, did your parents have you out at protests? Were you... Were you chucking? No, no, not not really. Like, was, <laughs> I mean, in, in in the terms of like capital P political, um, no. But I think when you when you live in in communities where you know your mur- your your neighbors are murdered, um, and it's a heavily militarized place, you know, it's it's unavoidable, um, that people are political or have a political literacy. So it always kind of struck me, actually, particularly when I moved to the south, that there was an absence, perhaps, of of. A, a political literacy that saw politics merely through the lens of a capital P, through elections, yes. uh, through what happens in a ballot box, rather than the sort of the you know the rich fabric of the society that you're within that happens day in day out, and it's, it's, it's imbued in, in the interactions you have with everyone around you. Yeah, that's a very good point. Actually, it's we were discussing this the mm-hmm. other episode in particular when we were comparing Malta and Ireland and the similarities between the two, um, and how in Malta it's very like politics is this kind of tribal political party thing. And you were saying that kind of like it's passed down through generations, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, well, I think Ireland my, too, my that- point there was like being such a young stage, the Irish stage, like it's basically someone's granddad, you know, that was the one who was in charge at the start. So their grandkids are still voting for them and so forth. And hmm. it's, I suppose, yeah, it's a very different experience for us down here because we could rant and rave about like being, you know, not to open again or like the whole, like, what happened to our six counties, but we're not living that life day in, day out. Like I remember being a kid in Ireland in the late eighties, early nineties and watching the news every night and seeing what was Mark is talking about happening. But other than seeing on the news, it didn't have any direct impact on my life. So why would I, you know, yeah. or any kid, as you said, be that influenced by it as, as in like to actively engage in it. You know? Yeah. That lived experience, I suppose, is so mm. crucial to, to everything that you're kind of, uh, to the, that whole discussion really which mm. i suppose brings me to the next point somewhat neatly next kind of question mm. really is well i mean what's the difference between right and far right because your your focus is primarily correct me if i'm wrong but it is the right wing of, of politics the conservative the authoritarian what's the difference between right and far right here it's i mean you, you, there's a lot to expand i guess in that like in terms of like what, <laughs> you know what, easy. The, the, the far right generically right historically and as it's used in common is, is has been used to describe perhaps the people at the more you know right wing end of a political organization or, or a political group um and that would have perhaps been seen in the context of you know economic policies um what we're seeing more recently now is, is it becoming an even more wider term that sort of tries to act as an umbrella term to kind of capture a range of perspectives that that go from a sort of a you know from an extreme end of like fascism for example mm-hmm. um and coming back in a little bit around kind of a ethno-nationalism mm-hmm. um deeply anti-migrant sentiment a type of politics that's willing to engage in kind of confrontation, harassment, intimidation, um, deeply anti-feminist and a, you know, homophobic, transphobic, and that has a, an approach to thinking through the state as something both to seize power, but also then to ultimately that has a, a you know, deeply authoritarian kind of tendencies in itself that seeks to dominate essentially. Um, that's a very short, loose, and perhaps, you know, not, not all-encompassing uh, definition, because I think within the far right, uh, that umbrella term internationally and, and in Ireland, you know, there, there's, a, there's a mix and a blend of different types of things happening. Yeah, well, I was going to say, so enough about Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. If you had to go more specifically, <laughs> uh, far right. Um, actually, I heard you were on a podcast um, recently, uh, well, it's in the past couple of weeks, and it's uh, this week at work. Um, was oh, a podcast yeah. that you were on. Uh, yeah, very interesting. I need to send that link to you, actually, mm-hmm. Jeff. It's a really, really good chat. Um, and you mentioned something about microgroups. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm once again without wanting to keep reiterate. As a foreigner, I'm going. Teach me, or show me a little bit about what the landscape is here. But I mean, Jeff, you're kind of following the news as well, and kind of I don't know how much of this is familiar. 
how much of the right in Ireland is is and it, it's a fairly new phenomenon phenomenon, isn't it? Or is, is it not? Well, openly, yeah. But I think Marcus hit the nail on the head there. He said it seeks to dominate, and so it can be folded into whatever it wants to be, whether it be you know homophobia or anti-feminism. They're all nicely fitted in there. So whatever yeah. you're interested in, right wing wise, you can just you can push it all in there for whatever you want it to be. Whether you're someone who hates women or someone who hates you know trans people or whatever, there's there's all those groups I would think. Push. Oh, it's, so it's always been there then. It's well, I think it's always been there. It's just more organized now, unfortunately. You know. What do you say to that, Mark? It has always been there um, in the sense that there have always been kind of uh, micro groups in the history of the state that have had. I mean. Th- perhaps precursor that like there's probably usefulness in, in, in thinking, you know, and teasing or separating out far right ideas and ideologies and far right movements. Right. Uh, so the ideas always have always kind of swimmed around and they've, they've, they've changed and morphed from, you know, post the second world war, which was a, a very particular type through the, you know, historical specificity of, of the second world war, what was happening in Germany, what was happening in Spain, happening elsewhere. Um, that, in Ireland, there's always been kind of small numbers of people that try to give political expression and political form to fascism, particularly. Um, and I'm not an expert in that. Um, I sent you guys on a document or a book, I guess, right from it was actually published by Anti-Fascist uh, Action, um, a group uh, that came about in the early 90s of anti-fascist activists and they did some really rigorous research into the the history of kind of a you know fascist kind of organizing yeah. in, in ireland um however i guess yeah what, what what you're saying in terms of what's different recently um has been both a level of organization but it kind of changed sort of local and global kind of context mm-hmm. which to a large degree is kind of normalized um some of those ideas, I guess, that lie at the root of, of stuff, you know, some of those ideas are kind of reactionary. Um, but some of those ideas are deeply wedded to a ne- the neoliberal project itself, which is, which is, you know, from Thatcher and Reagan onwards, explicitly said that there's no such thing as community. There's no such thing as society that, that saw that spoke to the idea that the only thing that's, that's the only units, the only thing that's valuable in, 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 in the world is the individual, the family and tradition. Now those those three currents are actually quite relevant and resonate in in, in far right organising itself. When you when you see a lot of you know groups like, for example, if you talk about Ireland now, the National Party or the Irish Freedom Party, or increasingly the sort of micro micro dot like over in Europe, um, groups like this that seek to um, speak to traditionalism, um, but their interpretation of what traditionalism is, which is like go back to the almost kind of theocratic state that the, yeah. the, the, this state was right. Um, and simultaneously reacting to uh, more contemporary progressive changes in terms of liberalization and the sort of the wins that progressive movements have made in terms of like the marriage, you know, the same sex marriage referendum, marriage equality um, and repeal. So there's elements that are kind of response to those kind of changes. Um, obviously, then there's the material changes in terms of demographic changes in terms of inward migration, which is relatively new to this country in, in terms of the last 25 years or so. Um, and and AFA and other yeah. other groups, yeah. but AFA and other groups actually been at the forefront, I guess, of 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 confronting those types of kind of you know mobilizations that sought to demonize uh, migrants for structural inequality, you know, for the economic realities and the political or the social fallout from the political and economic choices of of parties such as Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Yeah, but I mean. You know, Mark, we, we, like, like you pointed out, we've had these wins. You know, the, there was the repeal of the eights. You know, there was the um, marriage uh, equality, the marriage equality referendum. We've had it. Aren't kind of dirty left wing, uh, filth like <laughs> activists? De- degenerates, not, I think, is the word you're looking for, right? Degenerates, exactly. Aren't yeah. the left wing degenerates all making a lot of noise about, about nothing? And you know, every, everyone's a raci- racist and a fascist now. You know, isn't it all a, a bit of a storm in a teacup? I mean, I'll say one thing, right? I think the term fascist should be used very particularly and clearly. You know, so, sh- sh- you know, describing anyone as a fascist is, is it renders a word, renders a term, and it renders kind of anti-fascism much more difficult. Um, however, 
I think, like, looking at a global context, I mean, so just recently, like, two days ago, you had Biden, right? Who's no, who's no screaming lefty no. at all. But actually talk, talking out loud about, you know, the fear of the democratic project from a liberal perspective mm-hmm. um, versus the sort of the challenges of totalitarianism. And he's referencing both what he's, from his own point of view, from the liberal point of view, uh, the rise in economic power in China, as well as the sort of the very regressive uh, forces and tensions, be those movements or the political forms they're taking within the Republican Party in the US. Hmm. Now, that's that's very different than 25 years ago, yeah. when the US was flying around the world, bombing countries into shit to build democracy. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so there's, there's a very significant change at a, at a global level, you know? Um, and we can see that in Brazil. We can see that in the sort of manifestations of political organizations right across Europe that are gaining electoral power. Um, so I think we should, you know, celebrate and recognize how those wins that we've had were won, which were won from grassroots organizing and pushing. They weren't, they weren't gifts from above. Yeah. But also see them in parallel as like that, you know, that, that, uh, those, those, you know, the, the struggle is the struggle, as they say, right? The game's the game. Um, that that uh, you know this stuff isn't something that you take for granted, and also like right here and now, there are political manifestations and micro kind of social movements that are seeking to push back on those kind of wins, you know. Um, and so I don't think it's a case of kind of resting on the laurels and celebrating a very very hard won, very hard won victories that we've had. And say that we're, we're somehow immune or inoculated from the, the sort of very larger trends that are happening right around us. Hmm. What do you make of that, Jeff? Um, yeah, no, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, to be fair, sorry, it's just when Mark said about 25 years ago in the US bombing the shit out of places. It's funny how, again, I remember some of that and I remember my particular memory is some of the stuff that went on, say, in Serbia and Croatia and all that kind of time. Um mm-hmm. And it's weird to think that it is within our own kind of lifetime. I mean, I'm only, what, 38 now, so I was a teenager when that happened. And it does seem that in some ways we do live in a world that has vastly changed. I often wonder what the pivot point for that was. I mean, a lot of people talk about the pre and post 9-11 kind of world and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. I don't know, is it sometimes just easy to like drop an event in and decide that was the changing point? Or was was the hunger for change there anyways? And we're just kind of rallying around something, you know? Yeah, that's very good. I mean... From what I understood, Mark, you, you, your one of the main impetus, impetuses, <laughs> I think, was around for you to get involved in kind of activism, whatever. Aside from the anti-war kind of stuff, was mm. the nine um, eleven kind of like Jeff was mentioning there, the, the kind of rise in Islamophobia and kind of bigotry in the wake of nine eleven. Is that fair to say? Did I get that right? Um, it, I guess that was happening when I was getting involved with stuff. So the the uh, the you know the, the the manifestations of of a particular type of activism in Ireland um, around anti-war stuff at, at Shannon was, I guess, an Irish expression of a larger kind of European movement and kind of global movement that saw itself as having a relationship with the global south, and um, that that arose from the you know post Zapatista rising in, in Mexico in in 94 and, and you know in in opposition to the north american free trade agreement um that i guess was was you know to a large degree you know it was not successful in terms of of, of its aims but that certainly brought a, a type of politics which was about uh much more around kind of self-organization that perhaps to a default became a little bit separated or, or you know split from probably trade union organizing in some ways um but those were the types of things that I was kind of getting involved in, I guess, right? So certainly post 9-11 where you had, a, you know, it was very obvious as soon as, as soon as that happened that there was going to be a kind of very militant response from, you know, uh, you know a wars from the US. Yes. It, you know, there was, no, there was no surprise by that at all. No. Um, and I guess part of the, the rationale for a, the milieus of, 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 of those of us that are involved in sort of alter globalization, particularly anarchist kind of politics at that stage, was, well, what, what, what use, what's the most useful thing that we can actively do, you know? And one of those things was seeing like Shannon Airport as being a weak point. Um, and so there was, there was a bit of it growing up and getting involved in activism around that culture. It was like, well, politics isn't something you sit and wait for somebody else to do. It's like, so, you know, how do you get involved to try to have an impact in the things you want to change? Which is, you know, 
my interest is obviously to try and play a little bit of devil's advocate here, right? And mm-hmm. so I think to myself, you know, I look around my column where we're based right now and, you know, perhaps people come to Tree Bark Store and whatever. And it's like, look, I'm just trying to kind of focus on making sure that my family and my immediate surroundings and everyone's kind of well off and safe. And I don't have the time, money or means, you know, to be in taking on the world's woes. You know, what... Yeah. If you if you were coming if you were going to attempt a kind of counter argument to that and kind of say to people like well, you know here's why that doesn't hold up or do you have sympathy for that kind of you know that kind of perspective? Oh, I, I entirely do. Like I, I I think you know like a lot of people in terms of reflecting back on that the let's put it in the context of the conversation that we're having. Yeah, the barriers of entry into right wing organizations, right, including far right organizations or networks or movements is very low compared to the bar of entry into, for example, kind of left-wing movements. Right. Um, and left-wing activists and political organizations, you know, there's an expectation sometimes that you need to know a lot of theory or that you need to commit, like, endless hours of your time to meetings or you need to be involved in bodily risk in terms of, like, some types of actions. Yes. And that's, that's you know, the, one of the critiques, I guess, of the ultra-globalization movement was that it wasn't open in such a way, you know, even though we had quite fairly good practices i guess in terms of um you know engaging with people as you come in so certainly for example in the social center project that i was involved in and um, some of the ways that we we t- tried to deal with that stuff is like an address that is is actually lower the barriers of of making feel what people feel welcome but also engaging with people where, where they're at and you're not asking for high levels of commitment and i think that's that's something the left has yet to, to tease out in terms of like how how you get to the stage where you kind of have mass involvement in politics but that's also at a community level i guess as well you know and and not setting up you know, the idea of like a radical change is only going to come through a kind of a militant cadre. Um, that's not the case at all, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you mentioned party um, uh, politics by way of like the Nationalist Party and everything. Is, well, anyway, is it the National Party or the Nationalist Party? I think it's probably the National Party, but we might as well think of them as yeah. nationalists. So it's yeah, fine. yeah, the National yeah. Party, right? Um, yeah. And then I think Renoir was another one, did you mention? Hey, the Irish Freedom Party. Um, Party. Herman and, Kelly, is it? Yeah, Herman Kelly. Now, how much of a party that still is at this stage is, is a kind of a, is a question we're still trying to tease I out. I reckon he um, already wasn't getting invited to any other parties, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's the, I mean, that's a whole other discussion, the, the, um, the almost explicit dodginess of... <laughs> Nigel Farage's kind of left-wing dude kind of <laughs> being involved in the party there. But anyway, um, but aside from the kind of party political stuff, there are other mm-hmm. movements and groups that seem to be popping up that are overtly right-wing, right? Um, hmm. what, are, like, what are they? Do you, If you could give paint a picture for me of what those groups... Like, I, I hear names being spouted... Certain gemmas, yeah. And, like, yeah. If you had to I mean, it, 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 it might be useful to come at it in, in terms of uh, thinking about it in terms of like you know processes and engagements and overlapping and 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 kind of you know communication and and the sort of the architecture of grifters on YouTube, not unlike what we're at now, except we're not you know <laughs> um, get, you know we're not getting paid, we're not asking like for grifting, yeah. you know we're we're not asking. I'm being cheeky. Um, but I guess, right, so certainly, I mean, where you pick a starting point, so it's like... There'll be a link you know, for the, payment at the end of the session. <laughs> <laughs> like, so the National Party set up as an organization in, in 2016. Um, and, I mean, actually, their, their launch, like a lot of the, the parties that try to launch publicly, their, their launch was called off because anti-racists and anti-fascists um, made it impossible for, the, for them to go to the hotel where they wanted to launch it. Previous to that, Identity Ireland uh, tried to launch Pegida Ireland in... In early 2016. And they were running uh, the streets, weren't they? Well, they planned to meet at the GPO and 3,000 people come out and said, well, we're at the GPO. You're not going to meet there. Um, so, yes. um, <laughs> GPO is a tiny bit of significance in Irish history. So I think so, yeah. be a little bit offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit protective. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, I think it, it demonstrates the, the, the importance of community power and community responses um, to, to organizations like this. But I guess, what, what what might be useful in terms of the context where we're in now, where we're kind of um, starting to roll out of 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 a what's called lockdown, I guess, right, and the the hopefully receding of the pandemic, 
um, where you had this massive confluence of, of a variety of actors, political organizations, um, and then a rush to online. You have a, 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 a situation where there's a massive amount of social anxiety, particularly, you know, even though it's only a year ago now, a bit more, like there's a massive amount of social anxiety. We're not really sure what's going on. What is, what is a, you know, the, the, the virus as such. Mm-hmm. And in that context, the, the sort of architecture of like YouTube grifters, the conspiracy theorists, uh, people like Gemma O'Doherty, Rowan Croft and others, um, Gerald Murphy, some of these folks, they're there. And it's like this, they now have a, a much greater captive audience. Mm-hmm. And you can s- kind of see the pivot um, in part of that from the more explicit kind of ethno-nationalist, white supremacist, a deeply anti-feminist stuff to more conspiratorial grift, you know, which set to contextualize what was happening, not in like science and epidemiological terms or even public health terms or, or anything like that, but in the terms of totalitarianism, the terms of a fear of the state, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think in that space, uh, you had a lot of things. Um, you have the, you know, at the core of, of a lot of this is the sort of the inactions and, and complete indifference perhaps of the larger tech companies of what's actually happening on their platforms. Um, and so in that space where you have this kind of a mix of fear, you have political organizations and individuals who have an agenda and they're kind of mildly cloaking their agenda, but essentially just seeing kind of like a captive audience and mixing up all these ideas to, to sort of, fit a template of like, well, the, the totalitarian state and the conspiracy of the elites all fed through, I guess, with like, you know, the old historical anti-Semitism as well, which lies at the roots of most of the sort of anti-elite theory, as opposed to like a, a fairly common sense critique of like capital and power. Yeah. They really, they fuck, they really hate their Jews, don't they? Well, they hate, <laughs> that was a really simplistic one but off the back of that. They really do, don't they? It, it, li- it lies at the core, you know, and it lies at the core of a lot. Um, and, you know, particularly a lot of the, the U.S. import of, of stuff. So, you know, to a large degree, like we're not hermetically sealed from anywhere, you know. No, but um, a lot a lot of the discourse and, and language and sets of themes and ideas um, are, you know, just like memes themselves. They're kind of they travel through. They're kind of slightly repackaged, recontextualized a little bit. Um, a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Mark has, has nailed it there. Sorry, Mark. I think it's just, if you grew up in Ireland, yeah. you have this realization that a lot of what happens here is like, you know, America two years ago. We just, yeah. we just got it like, you know. There's and, just such a crossover between the two kind of. Like, have you met some of the teenagers recently in the way they talk as if they somehow, in you know, that mid-Atlantic accent as they call it? I did. Yeah. See, I did have a chat. I've had a chat with a couple of people now, actually, of the kind of younger variety. Yeah. That sounded a bit creepy. Sorry, but, you know, sorry. People younger than myself. You're totally, you're totally going to get. Cut, that's going to get caught up in uh, yeah. stuff in Telegram. <laughs> yeah. Andrew's like, I keep getting older, and they stay the same. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, but I mean, the younger folk, a couple of people that I have spoken to, and they go, "Oh well, I just watch a lot of America because I've gone." Oh, where are you from? Are you from Canada? Are you from the states or whatever? And it's like, oh no, I'm. I just watch a lot of American TV. I just watch a lot of American TV, man. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. I think kids do that though, right? Kids like, you know, they ah, yes. exper- experiment with accents or whatever. It's like, I certainly, I certainly can't really slag anybody for accents. It took me, I was down here. I can remember once like sitting, sitting in a meeting, one of my first political meetings, like waiting to, you know, intervene or like say something and then kind of said something very heartfelt towards the end that went on for maybe a minute and a half. And then people kind of looked around and they had no idea what I was saying at all. So it's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of comforting to hear when like Irish people don't necessarily understand each other sometimes because then it makes me feel not so bad about it going, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> just, like, if you think about the difference in accents from the very south of this country to the very north, it kind of varies quite a bit, you know? Yeah. So you wouldn't know that if you were watching... If you're if you're growing up a multi, well, we don't put the Kerry Farmer on the TV show, like no. (laughs) (laughs) If you're growing up a multi, like I was watching the TV, and you know the Irish person came on, they always had the same really poor. They probably weren't even Irish. They weren't exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So basically, Mark, it's the terrible, terrible internet that's to blame. And if we didn't have social media and the internet, the right wouldn't be as right, right? That's it, in a, in a nutshell. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Because I can remember at a, at, at a certain time, like, the internet was, you know, 
see you know it's kind of seen as a tool right and one of one of these one of the things that i kind of believe for quite a long time and is kind of still there i guess in terms of like a particular ideologies or concepts of holding the internet is that it's like it's a technology and a tool and it's it's neutral um and certainly you know chatting about the ultra globalization movement i mean we certainly made use of of the internet with stuff like indie media which is one of the first like you know decentralized distributed kind of news producing yeah. kind of a websites i guess and um, that enabled people not just to post their own news but also to comment on their news 10 years before anywhere else had, had you know uh, comment sections you know oh, not yeah. that i'm saying the journal's comment section is a, is a plus for society um <laughs> but but i i mean i think mm. like in terms in terms of whether saying good or bad i think it's very clear um looking at a for example the the the, the arc of facebook from when it started to where it is now right yeah. Um, it has, you know, also like Google, uh, some of these other organizations, you know, they have, they have, they have sort of turnovers that are bigger than GDPs in most countries. Yeah. They, you, it, at, at this stage, it's very hard to separate out uh, Facebook from politics in terms of campaigning. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, the longer term social impacts, the impacts they have on like young kids in terms of like self-harm, self-image, all these things like an Instagram, this is all kind of playing out. And so whilst I, you know, so I think there's a shorthand that says, okay, it's, it's down to the internet. I think the internet is different than a handful of technology companies. And I think it's, you know, we should be kind of clear about that. Yeah. Um, but it's also increasingly, I'm coming to the idea, like I'm coming to the idea, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced by the ideas that, you know, when you look at like, you know, not just the organizing of the far right um, and extremist organizations and groups and individuals on, on Facebook and on, on Twitter, when you look at the sort of the impacts and, and the applications of stuff like um artificial intelligence as it's called or ai yeah. um when you look at the kind of the work practices that many of the workers are on you know within the, the organize these kind of organizations it's very clear that actually the the these the setups are right wing you know they're not they're not mark zuckerberg likes to talk about you know wants to bring good and equality for whatever it's like it is the complete opposite because at every stage where they're presented with the evidence which we're actually we were able to do ourselves whenever mark zuckerberg visited here and had a meeting with Eamon ryan he got a briefing document in his hand describing a uh, the change that we were we saw from 2015 to 2019 in terms of the the activity of far right organizing this platform wow. didn't hear a whistle didn't hear a whistle. Wow. You know? um, now, the point of doing that is that you get it into his hand and you're able to say that actually they don't give a whistle. You didn't expect them to. Yeah. Right. So I think there's a bit of like, you know, we, there's no point in being naive that that a, that at the minute there's a series of, of, of organizations or, or companies that actually are enough themselves, both tremendous a, accumulators of capitalist wealth, but also are tremendous political forces in and of themselves. That have a, that have power in shaping discourse, uh, shaping people's like thinking about themselves, their communities, their political organizations, and that are definitely kind of both breeding grounds and tools of manipulation for nefarious actors. You heard it here first, folks. Facebook and <laughs> Instagram they they are right wing organizations, and they're hell-bent on spreading authoritarianism I, 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 well but if to, just clarify I'm, I'm not calling them right-wing organizations but i think they're, uh, imbued, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> they're, they're imbued with the right-wing logic yes you know which 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 a uh, is also actually let's let's be clear it's it's it is a white supremacist logic you know <laughs> um it's if <laughs> well, it, it kind of stems back to what you said earlier on which is like the barrier to entry for the you know right wing right wing yeah. movement is pretty low, so it's very easy for someone to go on Facebook or YouTube comments. God help them, yes, and whatever else, and that activity to happen. Whereas to use those platforms as a power for change and good and, and more in the left wing movement is incredibly difficult. Yeah, which I mean, and that begs the question, doesn't it, Jeff, uh, Mark? What are you doing on Twitter? And uh, <laughs> you know, but you're, you know, don't you have to be? It's because if he's not, then you know. Who's there to combat it? Yeah, is, is that is the only, and that's a really good point, actually, Jeff. Is like is the only way of combating the the rights, especially the misinformation and the nonsense on on social media, is to be a presence in social media as well and try to counter it. Or is there another way around it? Like, 
well, I mean, there's a couple of things there. Like, I, I don't think there's, I don't think being on Twitter itself kind of counters, um, you know, anti or counters kind of fascist or far right organizing in and of itself. No, it is a tool to increase public literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a there's it, it's probably illustrative to look at what the far right are doing now themselves. So they've yeah. primarily migrated now to a uh, other technological forms like Telegram, like Grab like a harder yeah uh, a few of these which are explicitly run by and coded by white supremacists right so yeah. there's no there's no bullshit there right yeah. um, so it's very clear that these are like architectures of communications that are designed to push forward the project of white white supremacism um and so you put it like that it's they, you know so so scary <laughs> i mean it's it's also put that in context right these, these are they're still small yeah. but the fact is they exist and yeah. they're real and they have intent um, in terms of like what you know whether whether to be on Facebook or not, I mean you know so it, it, with another hat on, I've worked in communications in in um, you know with with small kind of uh, charity organisations, and it's like it's it's almost you know I think getting to the point where like you know eight ten years ago you had to be there, it was a way to to yeah. you know, get your message out because that's where people were. Um, Clearly, Facebook's demographics are kind of changing, so there's less and less kind of young people on that platform. Totally. So it's yeah. like you know, if you if you <laughs> yeah, if you're working in communications now, you need to have like eight kind of platforms to be running on. To a large degree, that's relatively you know pointless. Yeah. I think the, the the larger question around like when you ask like does the internet play a role? The internet definitely plays a role, but I think there's definitely the looking at the specificities of the different kind of platforms, what their responses are to an evidence base that's presented to them. Um, and I think that's where, you know, a big chunk of the fight is going to have to be. It's not going to be directly with, um, you know, it's not going to be only with, I guess, far-right organizers themselves. But it's also taking the fight to the corporations, um, which is which is what any healthy, intelligent left movement should be at anyway. You know, it's because yeah. it's like the, the, the fight against the sort of hate that's being organized in Facebook is sits alongside in parallel to the fight of the workers on Facebook that are fucking sitting having to troll through like horror videos mm. um whilst like probably like Amazon whilst pissing in fucking bottles, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You were gonna say something there, Jack? Oh no, well there's two things. One, he's hundred percent right. There's there's a good episode that Radio Lab did about people who had that job of having to censor content for Facebook and the the PTSD some of them have from seeing things. Really? That, a lot of people only last a few weeks in that job. They just can't for the sheer horror of the stuff they have to Seriously? be exposed to. Yeah, wow. yeah. But sure, look at wasn't it the shooting in the US was it last year, the year before where you tried to stream it and stuff? You know, oh, was that? Oh no, it was New Zealand. Wasn't that, was, it? that was that was Christchurch. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was uh, yeah. But then even um, that as well. Just your other point is just like, and you stop and think about it. And as you said, the 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 power of these corporations and the way in which they're set up, it's quite a, frankly astonishing that like one man who is in charge of these was able to buy. You know what do they own? They own Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that's there's just no way that should be right. They monopolize our communications, and that is nice. Yeah, no, and I mean there's there's a particular kind of um, responsibility. I don't know if that's the right word, but anyway, certainly from just a particular observation at least that they're using kind of Ireland's status as a, as, as a tax haven, as a, as a node within an international kind of a tax avoidance structure to essentially wash money through. You know, so a large portion of their their ability to accumulate the wealth that they have is rooted in the sort of the policies that are that are that are being pushed and set in by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, so there's a you know there's a direct there's a direct fallout, I guess, from the types of like sorry the types of um, tax architecture that we have here and the sort of social impact like locally and globally that these organisations are having. So, do you feel, and this is another one of the broad sweeping kind of questions here, but. Given the the movement that we've taken, certainly in uh, that Ireland has taken anyway, in, in social or civil rights, kind of um, as we said with the two, the last two, is it referenda? Is the plural or referendums? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. With those last, <laughs> with those last two, um, do you feel optimistic that the next that the arc of history is progressive ultimately, and that successive the next generation might be a little bit more? kind of forward thinking and inclusive and a little bit more for want of a better word left wing <laughs> or not 
yes and no yes yes and no i mean i i would i would question the idea that the arc of history is is necessarily progressive anyway um i think we just need to look around the world right now um and say that the arc of history at present is nowhere near progressive um and so but the arc of history is shaped by the arc of like activity by humans as we're alive you know and so i think the the it, it's not it's, not it's not to leave it as something to, to to be observed i think the particulars here is like you know these organizations are really small they have very very small followings um they have been able to make some kind of hay and headway during a lockdown um yeah. however we have seen like you know where they've tried to have you know particularly the national party the national party tried to have a mobilization they will get a community response yeah that's very clear um and in terms of like the electrical electoral success. I mean, they're going to try and knock on doors and give very simplistic answers to, uh, you know, what 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 the woes, what 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 our problems actually are. You know, so we're we're probably looking into um, another recession. You know, um, yeah. and that's 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 quite likely within the next five six years. And so I guess the bit the bit for an organised left is to actually both being able to to counter those arguments but more realistically be able to get to the point where you've got like solid policy proposals that's a like and this is coming from an anarchist right but a that's like going to get you into power and deliver on those you know and actually secure people's kind of material uh positions while simultaneously being able to talk out loud about the value of of a diversity the value of equality and why it's important it's to actually to, to, to bring into sorry to rub it on but i mean no, to, to bring into being an actual politics of care well that's and to be to be unafraid of that you yeah know? but then, then so on the back of that then and sorry i don't mean to be cussing across you there either but it's just i'm hearing i maybe that's just me i don't know if jeff you're getting the same sort of uh, experience but i do hear and see a lot of movements like lakela like um the like Hazel Chu's been very vocal on on her Instagram page and whatever. Like there's been a there has been like um uh oh, I forgot Senator Eileen Flynn. Um you know there has been there, there there is a presence of people who ostensibly I suppose you would call on the left of the spectrum anyway who are who or who are at least being uh very vocal about a vision of Ireland that is once again more inclusive and more open mm-hmm. or whatever else. So you know, is there a case to be made that that's, I guess it's um, two pronged questions. Is that happening in politics already that the, the arguing for policies and uh, action? And if it is, where do you identify it? Which parties do you think are best rep- or candidates and in, uh, independents are best representing uh, mm-hmm. doing what it is you're, you think people should be doing basically? Okay, well, I'm, I'm not getting into like naming candidates really at all, right? Sure. Um, or, or organizations in some sense, right? What I would say is I think oh, that a significant <laughs> amount of the, a significant, well, no one's going to listen to me anyway. Why would they? A significant <laughs> amount of, um, of what's being offered is really tinkering around the edges of what we're looking at in terms of like a, you know, climate catastrophe in the next 10, 15 years, right? And what the social impacts of that are, what the sort of, what that means in terms of like the structure of global economies. Um, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not convinced per se, like if I just pause there for a second. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a deeply instinctive anti-racism tendency in Ireland, right? I think that's there. That sits alongside a deeply ingrained racist tendencies, particularly towards kind of traveler communities, people of African right. descent and new migrant communities, right? So I think those tendencies and tensions are always there. Yeah. Um, I, I, in terms of like what that means looking forward, like I think the big problems are, are are yet to be really elucidated in official politics in Ireland. You know, I think it's very clear that some people have a very good handle on a you know climate crisis, what's coming, but I'm not really sure that particularly any of the main major parties have elucidated any policies that that seek to address that in a way that that's for real. If you know what I mean. All right, so cosmetic then. What do you think? Not- Sorry, go on. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not casting of an item. I'm not saying it's, it's it's all cosmetic. I don't think that it is right. And I think there, I think, I think, what's needed is a, is a, a not a conversation around catastrophe or crisis, but a conversation that speaks to 
not just separate policies and tinkering around the edges, but actually articulates a type of vision that is inclusive, but that's also rooted to a kind of a material means of ensuring that that's coded into how society is organized. Mm -hmm. Because I think you can have and should have the sort of the moral ethical kind of desires for an inclusive, welcoming, sustaining kind of society that ensures care and, and potential for everybody. But that also has to be rooted in an economics. And I think that can't be evacuated. And I think there's there's a role for trade new movements, there's a role for you know social movements and for political organizations to 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 try and bring those all together. You were gonna say something there, Jeff. No, I was just wondering, does Mark have a concern that, you know, as we obviously move around the edges of said of getting out of our lockdown and moving forward that it's a perfect storm and a good situation for the likes of the power parties who are in play at the moment to, to use this to go oh well keep stability keep us in because we know how to run things and we keep yeah. you know like is it a bad time for people who want change to try and uh, um, make it effective because a large portion of people will be concerned about that and want to go back to the old comfort and think We've well they know change, what to do like, like yeah. they know how to run the country you know? yeah yeah I mean, I think that's up for grabs. I think I don't, I don't think any of that's kind of fixed in stone. Like what we did have a year ago was like a period of like three months where everybody was asking, "What's it all about? Yeah, what's 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 the meaning of stuff?" You know, and I think that's still relatively fresh in people's minds. And and I and again, I think as well, like there, you know, we need to have an internationalist lens in this. It's not about like, well, how do we sitting in Ireland solve our problems? It's like, it's recognizing the sort of in these sort of interlinked and entangled shared kind of outcomes around this, you know, and it's not about um, trying to create winners where there's kind of other losers, you know, and I think that's, that's, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's there to be had, the conversation's there to be had. Do we have a kind of, you know, a sympathetic press that, that's actually able to, to hold those kind of conversations, push those conversations? Again, that's something that obviously, you know, people like yourself are at, you know. Um, how do we do that in terms of like, you know, mainstream uh, mass distributed kind of press? That's more challenging, but I think that's definitely something to be aiming for. So, is Sorry, just, Yeah, if I could just ask you very quickly, Mark, because I'm conscious of time. Uh, Fair enough, as you mentioned, you wouldn't want to specifically name candidates and parties, and that's fine. But for anyone who is interested in what you're talking about and wants to affect change in their own lives, maybe get interested, what are the resources or the links or the people that you would point them to to get involved, as you said, to get over that bar to entry and try and mm-hmm. get themselves more educated? Aside, aside from at Sound Migration mm, on, on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> well, you'll just get a grumpy old man running shouting, that's how you get there. Um, like, in terms of, right, so the left-wing parties, right, so there are the, the sort of people before profit, there's Sinn Féin, which has the makings of a left-wing party, and um, there's a lot of left, you know, left-wing activists in there. Um, you know, there's manifestations like Akela, people before profit. A, but also, I think there is that bit of, like, you know, there's, there's a, a kind of I don't know, like, I, I kind of grew up around the fringes of, like, a punk scene, you know, and kind of the cultural stuff, like, this, this, the, the, the DIY culture, you know, and the, the idea that, like, actually, you're, you're you know, actually just coming to head now, like, the Katu, for example, right, the sort of the, you know, the, the tenants union movements. Yes. Um, there are lots of kind of, like, social movements and struggles that kind of people getting involved in that are very open and very accessible, Uh but I do think also the cultural stuff is kind of making, you know, taking your, there's a generation below me, right? And, you know, without running into another long kind of strand, right? That opens itself up to nihilism because actually that hope, hope is kind of robbed. Hope has been robbed, right? Yeah. So, you know, the recruiting ground for far right um, is the same as the recruiting ground for left. Yes. But will you, will you have a context where, generations of people and our generation of people have kind of like didn't have not had rationale for hope you know and if you look at like a lot of you know antisocial behavior that's happening in the minute what described as antisocial behavior right some it's really 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 grim yeah but these are these are these are kids of of the crash you know absolutely like you don't you don't like you know chatting to kind of friends during the week about this right it's like you know in, in no way to kind of absorb personal or parental or even kind of community responsibility but none of these kids have like are living with like happiness. Hope doesn't play a particularly strong role in their in their in their lives, yeah. and that's not on them, you know. And so I think there's a bit of there's a bit of a 
that's part of the gig as well. It's not about getting people to, into parties to vote. It's like, how do we, in our own kind of communities, like what are the types of things we can be doing to engender hope? And uh, what are the types of relationships that we're building in terms of like the community supports that we have um, that make like a quality of life, a lived life, you know, the, the, the things that are important to us. Yeah, and that's, like love, care and solidarity, you know, it's like. The, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what underpins this podcast for us really is our interest in similar, really. Um, so it's it's refreshing to hear it from as a kind of uh, a voice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just one very quick question yeah, because you know I don't want to, but just um, when you're not obviously setting the world to rights in on podcasts <laughs> or because you, you're you're fairly prolific and fairly busy from what I can see, and mm. something like this kind of conversation that Jeff and I have fairly regularly alongside obviously a load of other stuff. <laughs> um, but it can really get, it can get quite tiresome, can't it? It can get quite wearisome like, to, keep, mm. to sustain that energy, that hope that's, as you were just saying there about the younger generations and their complete loss of hope, it's like trying to maintain that can be difficult. Like, mm. what do you do to recharge your batteries? How do you go about doing it that can be broadcast on air or that can't either way? <laughs> For the fan, only fans section. For the only <laughs> fans section of the podcast. <laughs> I, yeah right I, like i mean really like i'm I'm really lucky right i've got a a, a deadly family yeah. and a deadly network of friends right and comrades you know here in ireland and abroad um like making time for that stuff you know i i think during the lockdown everyone's like get to the park do your running do your whatever actually it's the people around you and that's only ever the only ever important thing really you know at the end of the day like you know um, it's 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 the people around you. So it's a. I take. I think people should take seriously. You know, in in the left, like the relationship between self care and collective care. You know, and it's like it's also about being able to say the world doesn't fall apart if I'm not doing anything for a week. You know, like not being a narcissist about your own importance, um, and also then knowing that like actually you're working with people. Like I, I, I come from, and I'm in a movement. I'm not, I'm not doing this on my own. So I think there's a, there's a kind of uh, emotional, spiritual, and kind of like, yeah, mental kind of nourishment with that. And um, so, yeah, pretty much that. Also, <laughs> here, here, here. That was brilliant. Sorry, <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. No, you're fine. Just <laughs> clap closer than like next time. I didn't quite catch that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um yeah, no, that's that's I, I think again Mark has condensed a lot of wisdom there into the, into that couple of sentences about self care and realizing that you know the world doesn't fall apart without you. Absolutely. Um, and I think that is a realization a lot of people may have come to in the last year. Yeah. A bit of a reassessment of the roles they've played in previous years when they've had a chance to hit pause for a while. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, maybe hopefully we might be able to get you back again at some stage. Yeah, that would be brilliant if, I if can you were up for it. only imagine there's any amount of resources and links to be put into the show notes in this one. So we might ask yeah. you to pass us on some details after we talk later on. Yeah. Mark, yep. a couple of things on already to me, actually, which I'll pop on the notes as well. But anything and everything, Mark, basically. Yeah. Just send us the, everything from your Twitter feed for the past, yeah. I don't know how many years. It would be great. <laughs> that, that's all online. God help your soul. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been really nice. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. Really appreciate it. We'll let you go and uh, have a great week. <laughs>